Hey, can we turn to Exodus chapter 20, where we have been for the last few weeks, and we are going to look at yet another one of these Ten Commandments. And I'm going to invite you to stand with me as we read this word together. And we will read down through verse 15. Hear the word that God has for us today. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I am the Lord your God. I am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor, do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. May God add his blessing to his word. You can be seated. I, I thought I maybe would start out this morning just asking you a question. Have you ever stolen something? Go ahead, raise your hand. Uh, okay, that's important because next week we're talking about lying, okay? So I want to make sure that we're just going to get right here at the beginning here. But, uh, you know, I, I have a clear memory of stealing when I was about six years old. I was in first grade, and I found that I was always losing my pencils in class. Perhaps the reason was is my classmates were pilfering my pencils. But nevertheless, I remember on a couple of different occasions needing a pencil to finish my math assignment or a copy assignment of some sort. So I would just casually walk by a desk and, and pilfer a pencil on someone's desk and claim it as my own. Now, I, the reason I think that memory is quite frankly so vivid in my mind is because I remember trying to sleep at night when I was a first grader. And the Lord had graced me, I guess you'd say, with a, a heavy conscience, a, a, a sensitive conscience. And I remember just being intensely convicted about this idea that I had stolen something from someone else. The, the, the guilt was rather intense. And so at one point, I was under such conviction that I, I took some pencils from home with my mom's permission, and I took them to school with me and confessed to a number of my classmates and friends that I had, had done this and gave them some new pencils. Now, I wish I could say honestly that that was the last time I was guilty of stealing, but I know better. 
If you've been on the other side of that, of course, you know what it feels like to have something stolen from you, whether something large or small, you feel violated, hurt, and angry. Well, this morning, I want to talk about this, but I'd like to begin by showing you what I thought was a rather disturbing video, and I hope it comes across clear enough, but it, you know, we have some of those ring cameras on your, your door, and this is from last week when a lot of the young people were out trick-or-treating, and a young girl is trick-or-treating, you see the ring camera, and I'd like to show it to you and think about the ramifications between his daughter and her father. Let's, let's show that. Go ahead and lower the lights. All of it? Mm -hmm. Take everything that was in there? Mm -hmm. Huh? I just take a little bit because the chicken cheaters need some. Come on, Did you get the gist of what was happening there? The daughter says, well, wait a minute here. Why don't we leave a little bit for some others? And, you know, she's, she's concerned about that. Dad slinks up and let's take it all. It's hard to believe, isn't it? It's okay to steal. The lure of stealing is that we might gain something for nothing. Make it easy. The, the problem, of course, is that stealing is gain at someone else's expense. Stealing, like murder and adultery, is really, in fact, an expression of contempt. Am I my brother's keeper? Well, to steal is to answer that question wrongly. It is to say, no, I don't care. If I can steal from someone, I'm probably not going to be praying for their well-being. Stealing, in fact, if you think about it, praise, my kingdom come, my will be done. It, it looks at my neighbor, my brother, my sister, and says, you give me this day my daily bread, whether you want to or not. The eighth commandment says simply, you shall not steal. And behind that is a remarkable, if you think about it, biblical privilege. It's the privilege of ownership. The Lord has graced us with the ability to own things. But of course, more accurately, we really have the, the, the primary or the idea of secondary ownership. Psalm 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. In Job 41, 11, the Lord says, Everything under heaven belongs to me. So in reality, whatever we have comes from him, and in fact, we'll go back to him. We are just temporary owners. The Bible, in fact, calls us stewards. God is the ultimate owner, and we are given this temporary stewardship of certain things. And in fact, the Bible tells us that we will give an account of what we did with those things that we owned. 1 Timothy 6, 7 says, For we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of it. So we might say, my house, 
my car, my television, but it all belongs to God. But while we live in this world, God has given us temporarily the right to own private property. Now, one of the things that troubles me greatly in our present era is how quickly in our nation we seem to be moving toward socialism. Even though we have clear evidence, even in recent history, that socialism always breaks down and in fact becomes destructive and even murderous because it doesn't take into account human depravity. I agree with Margaret Thatcher who said, the problem with socialism is you eventually run out of other people's money. Socialism says we take it so we can give it. Christianity teaches it all belongs to God and we will be held accountable to him. Socialism, however, and its kissing cousin communism denies that biblical teaching. Rather, socialism says it all belongs to the state. The state is all in all. The state will take care of you, but you have to give it or we will just take everything. And so some will argue that the early church was a socialist community because the scripture says they held everything in common. They sold their property and gave to anyone who had need. But if you think about that seriously, the difference there was that members of the church, of the early church, were moved to do so voluntarily. They were generous in spirit. It was not coerced by an atheistic state. And so Winston Churchill, again, I love the British here today, was right when he said, Socialism is a philosophy of failure, the creed of ignorance, the gospel of envy. Its inherent value, virtue is the equal sharing of miseries. Now, we see this playing out in some bizarre fashions in our culture today. And I could go through a list of things, but let me just give you one example. In San Francisco, for instance, they have decriminalized shoplifting up to $950. A headline in the Wall Street Journal, October 19, 2021, read, San Francisco has become a shoplifter's paradise. Now, I could have again shown you some videos of people entering the stores with trash bags, taking whatever they want, leaving without any interference or concern. But of course, the absurdity of that is what? Well, there's a store owner. And on the other side, we have an owner's nightmare. Store after store is either forced to what? Raise their prices to those poor suckers who actually make a purchase or they close up shop altogether and for a society to ignore this commandment it does so as it's at its own peril this is not justice but according to the scriptures there are three ways that we can legitimately biblically accumulate property let's go through those very quickly one is to work for it when God placed Adam and Eve in the garden, he directed them to subdue the earth and have dominion over it. God expected them through their personal labor to provide for themselves, take the land and work it. And if you work hard, the result would be 
personal wealth. There were those in the early church who were apparently taking advantage of the kindnesses of the church membership. And you'll remember, therefore, Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, for even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. There is a correlation between your work and what you can have. That's why the Bible is concerned about, so concerned in fact, about paying proper wages and not withholding those wages. I could go through a list of these verses, but Romans 4.4 4 will suffice. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. It is earned. And in fact, to withhold those wages in scripture would be to considered to steal. But there's a second legitimate way we acquire goods, and that is through wise investing. I remember in Matthew 25, Jesus tells a parable about an owner who takes a long journey and he has three servants and he leaves them a series of talents. One servant, you remember, he leaves five talents. Another two talents. The last servant, one talent. The servants with the five talents and the two talents, upon the return of the owner, they have doubled what the owner gave them. And when the owner returned, he commended them. Well done. But the man who was, only had the one talent, well, you remember, he buried it in the ground. And the owner said, you wicked, listen to that, you wicked, lazy servant, the very least you could have done was given it to the bankers to gain some interest. So we are to invest and work to make an honest profit in our dealings. One of the easiest ways, it seems to me, a young person, for instance, could invest in, a, in an S&P 500 low-cost mutual fund. Now, I'm not going to turn into Dave Ramsey today, okay? But I've I got to tell you, this is just amazing to me. A low-cost mutual fund, S&P 500. Average returns are somewhere between 8 and 11% every year. I was amazed to find that an investment made a year ago in one of those S&P 500 funds would have returned a 42% investment in the past year. And of course, yes, there is the risk of losing your principal, but over a 20-year period, one is almost certain to have increased one's wealth in that span of time. Now again, the Bible nowhere leaves us room for a shady business deal or unnecessary gambles, but to astutely invest is an acceptable means of gaining wealth. But the third biblical means of acquisition is receiving a gift. If you look at the scriptures, you see the evidence of this. Isaac, for instance, inherited great wealth from his father Abraham. And if somebody gives you a gift, you have a right to own it. You have a right to keep it. If, if it has been willed to you by another person, there's no reason to feel guilty about that. You're blessed, and yes, you ought to be generous. You need to be a good steward, but it's not wrong to receive that graciously. So I was thinking about this message. I suddenly realized as a pastor, everything I have is a result of people giving. That's rather humbling to think about it. 
There's no one forcing you to, to support this ministry. I, I don't have anything unless the people of this church give. And I want you to know you've given generously over these years. Jesus didn't own much, but he did have a seamless robe. And that was given to him by somebody. He was able to be a traveling preacher for three and a half years because people supported him and his disciples. Many of them, by the way, were women. So while we can acquire things and own things, let's be clear, we are not to steal things. Now in Scripture, maybe one of the most notorious stories about stealing is the story of Jacob and Esau. You remember Jacob... He steals both the birthright and the blessing of his father Abraham from his brother Esau. Now, if you study that story, the irony is that the two things he steals were in fact what God had already promised to Jacob before he was even born. You know, it's kind of like the guy who steals from the family business embezzles funds and whatnot when he's going to inherit the family business. Kind of silly, not very smart if you think about it. Jacob steals what God has already ordained would be his. So if you're going to steal, be better at it than Jacob. But here's the thing about stealing. You know, we can always find someone who's doing it on a much grander scale than we are. And therefore, we can think our issue's no big deal, rather minor. It could be an item at the office or sometimes stolen on social media at work or suddenly forgotten income when it comes to our tax return. Studies show that people justify workplace theft because corporations don't have feelings. People who would never steal money from their supervisor out of the wallet will fudge an expense report or steal office supplies without giving a thought. No big deal. And because it's unlikely we'll ever get caught, we feel pretty safe in that trespass. So when we read the stories that hit the headlines of the CEO who built millions of dollars or the the politician who was stealing money for his mistress on the side, whatever our sticky finger sins might be, they don't come close to real stealing. But here's the problem. First, if I steal, someone does know. Number one, I know. You see, when we steal, we do pay. There is a price. Part of that price is a piece of our character. We give up some measure of our own sense of self-respect. Maybe you remember the name Matthew Henry, the, the, the one whose commentary, at least as a young person, I read quite a bit. Matthew Henry was once robbed when he was on a journey in a, and he was going through a rather dangerous area and he was robbed. Later that day, as he looked back at the experience, 
He sat down and he wrote a series of reasons he could give thanks. He, one of the reasons he wrote he was thankful was that he was the victim of the theft and not the perpetrator. He said it was better to be the one stolen from than to be the one who steals. He said the one who is robbed loses only earthly goods. But the thief loses so much more. But there's another consideration. This is important, I think, for Christians to pay attention to. Listen, if we have struggled to attribute property rights to a corporation or a hotel because it is disembodied, of course it's much easier then to struggle to attribute these rights to God who is invisible. And what's more, it's, it's not such a far stretch if we discount a visible God. It's not also a stretch to imagine that he is also unseeing. He doesn't know. If we could only learn Jacob's story, however, that God has already given us a birthright and blessing in Christ. Paul says in Ephesians 1, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. In Christ, he says, we have unfathomable riches in verse 8. The problem with heaven, though, is it's so invisible. And so we easily turn to the visible and find that we could just as soon store up treasures right here. But let us, as people of faith, as Christians, let us remember the God who sees our hearts, sees our hands. And he knows, too. Whether we are ever caught with that stash of staples from the office or that trove of towels from the hotel or the IRS ever questions our income, we are all caught red-handed. And not only does God see, he knows. He knows us. He knows our hearts. This is why this is important. The way we treat other people's property reveals how well we know him. Taking what is not ours shows contempt, not only for the rightful owner on this earth, but in fact, for the owner of it all. And so Jesus said this. He said, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also very dishonest in much. If you then have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? So let me ask you this morning. Do you want to be found faithful in much? The key is to be faithful in the little things. And that begins with starting in a relational God who sees and knows. Jacob stole because he really did not believe God could fulfill his promises and that God was kind of disinterested and blind to it all. If you think about it, that's what happened in the Garden of Eden. Eve stole from the tree because she believed falsehoods about God. God. 
Satan slithered and lied, and she believed him. But of course, God was not blind, and he was not disinterested. And he did see, and he did know, and thankfully, he was not without pity and mercy. Listen, for though Satan is a thief who comes to kill and steal and destroy, God is an extravagant giver who gave. And he gives us Jesus Christ, his son, his only son. And Jesus came to give us life abundantly. And so, listen, friends, if we align ourselves with Jesus, if we say we are followers of Jesus, should it be such a stretch that if that is what Jesus does, maybe that's what we should do too? As followers of Jesus, we should not be known as takers, but instead, we should rather be known as givers. In Christ, we are thieves no longer. We don't listen to the great thief, but instead, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are in step with the great giver. And so God so loved, he gave. And if we love, we give too. Paul writes in Ephesians 4, verse 28, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Now think about the great reversal there because of Christ. Think about that. The one who stole now works hard to help someone in true need. That, that is absolutely a reversal. It is amazing to think about. And, and let me just say this morning, this is when you know where the gospel has really touched your life. This is when you know when the gospel is transforming you and making a difference in you, that when you stop worrying about yourself and start worrying and concerned and love and, and concern for others, that's the indicator that God is doing something in you. That, that is so important that we just not, well, I checked this religious thing off, I checked this off, I checked this off, but there's a motivation in you to live differently because of Jesus. Paul said, let each of you not only look to his own interests, but also the interests of others. And it seems to me this is the key. When we understand ourselves to be stewards of God's resources rather than our own Resources, we will think differently about these earthly treasures. See, it is the thief that whispers, the one who dies with the most toys wins. That's a lie. A lie from hell. But Christ says, store up for your treasures in heaven. Be a provider of abundance to those around you. And so we are confronted with this. There, there are two ways to live. We can be takers or givers. I showed you the video earlier of the younger girl and the foolish father. I would, I'd like to just take a moment, if you will, and show you another one. 
that I think uh, I, I think you'll appreciate. Let's uh, let's dim the lights and look at this one. All of it. <laughs> Take everything that was in there. Okay. Huh? I guess it's starting to work. Yeah, I guess it didn't come through. Do you have the other slide? Uh, they're working on it. I got all of it. Almost all of it. Let's see if we can. <laughs> Did you see what happened there? Real quick. He realized it was empty. And he saw that there were other trick-or-treaters on their way. So quickly, he took some out of his own bag and put some in the bowl. I like that picture. You know, that's the important thing in the Bible. It's not just about how you acquire things and wealth. But what are you going to do after you have it? The Bible says this, to whom much is given, much is required. And if you have been given quite a bit, God expects more of you. You're a steward. And the Bible says it is also required of a steward that that one be found faithful. So let me ask you this morning, are you a, a giver or a taker? It's not too late to turn from being a taker. You know, I was just thinking about this and thinking about thieves, and then it suddenly occurred to me. <laughs> when Jesus was on the cross, you remember that the Bible tells us he hung between two thieves. Thieves. And one of those thieves receive forgiveness and Jesus said to him today you will be with me in paradise my friends while it is still called today we can put our faith and trust in Christ we can for receive the forgiveness he offers and so I simply ask you to consider this eighth commandment don't be a thief in Christ, you are rich. So be a giver. That's the word. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you love us so much. I thank you that you are patient with us. And that, Lord, your grace is so amazing that even the thief on the cross with his final breaths was able to draw close to you and you changed him and you changed his eternity but Lord you're speaking to us right now and we have this moment to consider where we are with you and what we consider to be most important I pray Lord that we would be less and less like that first video and instead Lord uh, we would demonstrate more and more a heart of that young man in the second. That we would look at all the abundance we have in Christ and Lord we would 
see that our destiny as people in Jesus would be to share and give because we have been given so very much. Help us not to be takers, but help us instead to be like our Father who loved this world so much that he gave. He gave Jesus Christ to die on the cross that we might have eternal life, abundant life. In experiencing that abundant life, Lord, may we live differently. I ask this in your precious name.